Welcome back to the Front Nine Podcast. Derek, Nate, and Bob are here with you, and we have uh, a special opportunity tonight to talk about something that only happens every four years, which is the Olympic golf tournament that starts and kicks off tomorrow evening here in the United States. Um, I think it's actually going to be Thursday morning in Tokyo, but tomorrow evening for us. So uh, lots of cool stuff to talk about on this podcast. We have uh, 3M Open uh, discussion, Louis Oosthuizen discussion. Uh, seems like he's been popping up a lot on the pod lately. Uh, we also have uh, some things to talk about in regards to uh, COVID uh, somehow showing up in John Rahm's life again, and we were confused about that, uh, as well as just Olympic talk and what's happening over in Tokyo. So uh, so we're going to jump right in. Nate, Bob, how are you guys doing tonight? Uh, what do you, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys, I, I think you guys always kind of have a traditional uh, pod juice. What are, what are we drinking tonight? Well, you know, for me, um, it's Olympic time. I got myself. A, a Japanese whiskey uh, with a nice uh, uh, w- with a nice Canada Dry. I'm trying to get all the international flavor in here together with a nice highball, and that's what I got tonight. Um, I know I know Nate. I think is, is doing something similar, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. I think this is going to be a great pod. Mm. Yeah, I think in honor of uh, Rory and Shane Lowry, I went <laughs> with some Irish whiskey. Ah. Um, <laughs> And some Canada Dry as well, so Corey Connors mixed in there. <laughs> um, I could tie everything back into golf if you give me enough time. Um, with some ginger ale, and I also have some uh, some Angostura uh, bitters in mind. That that's kind of the secret ingredient to a, a, a great highball. So um, that's what I'm going with today. Um, but unfortunately for me, it's already gone. So, <laughs> okay, All may, right, have, well. may have to go for a refill if I may <laughs> got a night nightcap. Yeah, yeah, you guys uh, will know why. Yeah. Uh, so, well, uh, well, that's awesome. So I know uh, we kind of all got a chance to uh, dive in a little bit to the three M Open this weekend. Some fascinating stuff down the stretch. Obviously, Cameron Champ coming out the victor. Uh, pretty special for him. Uh, we were talking about this, like he's won a couple times on tour, but those have been, uh, opposite field events, fall series events. So maybe not necessarily the biggest, um, you know, tournaments, main, main season wise, those kinds of things. He, he obviously showed up this past weekend though. He led the tournament and strokes gained putting, uh, on the weekend and, uh, and came out, uh, a victor by two shots over Louis Oosthuizen, but as has been the talk around uh, Cameron Champ over the last few days, I mean, what were your guys' take of his decision to pull driver on the 18th hole with a two-shot lead, um, you know, pretty much having it locked up if he just hits the fairway? What I mean, what were your thoughts when he pulled driver? I mean, I thought that was dumb, frankly. And I think the guys, Immelman and, and Colt Nost, kind of gave it to him a little bit on the coverage too, to the point where they wondered if they understood. And and he has a veteran caddy, Chad Reynolds, who's a Jacksonville native, went to Mandarin High School, which is a couple miles from where I'm sitting right now in my uh, my house. But um, he's caddied for VJ, one majors, Keegan, Nick Watney, guys like that. Um, You know, clearly they were locked in, like you said, 
they were going to hit driver four times in a row and, and maybe in the playoff if they needed to. But I thought it was really ignorant, for lack of a better term. And I think, um, like we'll discuss, that's probably the mindset of a guy who misses more cuts than he makes. Yeah. Because I sure. just don't think I just don't think that's very smart. Right. Um, but I will say, anytime, and we've talked about this, I think, in the context of Rory uh, winning at Wells Fargo, anytime a guy with that level of ball striking, specifically driving distance, and I don't know what his strokes, you know, gained off the tee or, um, but you know, ball striking stats were, but anytime Cameron Champ leads the field in putting, y- you have to feel he's going to be on the top page of leaderboard. Mm. Um, so anytime he can putt like he did, he's going to have a chance. Um, and he just happened to frankly get lucky. I I don't know if everybody had a chance to watch the, the kind of circumstances that unfolded, but he hit the drive further right or left, excuse me, further left. Yeah. Yeah. Further left than Bob could hit it right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) And Bob's a lefty, so you know he he hooked it or pull hooked it or whatever you want to call that. I mean, it was definitely the swing of a guy who was not committed to what he was doing, and literally was standing on the tee saying, "All right, I'm going to hit this driver, but I know I'd rather miss it in Lake Michigan to the left than to hit it in the pond on the right." Right? I mean, right. that's what it felt yeah. like to me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to hold on to this thing. This thing is not going to... I mean, that looked like the anti-right swing to me, which mm-hmm. makes zero sense when you could hit a five iron in the fairway, a seven iron to lay up, and a pitching wedge on the green, two putts for par, and you you know, you know win by two. Now, thankfully, he, he still was able to manage... You know, he, he had a decent enough lie where he was able to kind of pitch out, even though I still think he thought he hit that tree. There was one lone bare dead tree right in the middle of where he was aiming. He hit it heavy, uh, but I thought he hit that tree. And and as Bob, you know, we kind of discussed before the pod, let's say that thing ricochets off that tree, goes right behind a tree. You're looking at double, potentially triple to not only lose the tournament, but not even get into the playoff with Louie and Swartzel. And and I think there was, was it Johnny Vegas? There was Uh, one other guy. Vegas was there. There was one other guy that was in it at 13, and, and he was at 15. So to me, that was really kind of ignorant and, and almost reeks of inexperience. Um, like it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to have a mindset of, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to do this. That makes no sense to me. Circumstances can dictate sometimes that, you know what, yeah, it's not hard for him to hit that fairway and have a seven iron or whatever he hits into the green and have a you know two putt birdie opportunity but sometimes in golf it's better to avoid bogeys than it is to go out and seek birdies yeah well, and he all, didn't, he, all he, he had didn't. to do was not make double and he wins right. the tournament right, right. he could have hit seven birdie. iron seven iron seven iron and he would have been fine well did you see the line i mean you know you said that he was uh, he was really kind of holding off a little bit it looked like he was set up a solid 10 to 15 yards left he was set up into the trees and i don't know if that's just his normal ball flight right is he's uh he he, you know he takes a you know he does typically hit a cut yeah yeah um but man he was set up way over those trees and it uh i'll tell you so 
and I think I said this last week on the pod, but you know, I got the chance to play that course um, many, many years ago. The course actually looks drastically different than than, than when I played it. But um, you know, as a lot of these courses are, you get out of position, and it's not hard to. Uh, have your score spiral, especially on that hole with the water right there. And you saw it throughout the week. I mean, rookie Fowler, he took a six or seven or eight on that hole um, earlier in the week, if I remember correctly. Um, so it, it, it uh, it's easy for it to spiral. And Nate, you're exactly right. You know, Champ hit that, that pitch or the little runner that he was trying to just pitch it back out in the fairway. Uh, and, you know, he, he is really lucky. Um, and inexperience, I think is, is the right word or, you know, especially under pressure, uh, what to do under pressure, what to execute. He just, uh, uh, he, I'll give him a lot of credit. He did well to make par the, the approach shot he did eventually hit with his wedge was fantastic. Right. And, and really locked it up for him. So, uh, give him credit for that, for a guy who, uh, my wedges might not be that far behind his, um, you know, yeah. maybe, He's, he's, he's not exactly it's one of the worst wedge players on tour for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's kind of bad to watch, um, but he executed and he finished. So uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give him credit for, for that. The the funny the funniest thing I think well maybe not the funniest thing but definitely a funny thing was when we were at Innisbrook we were watching the golf tournament <laughs> and and Nate and Bob like Cameron Champ came on the television I think it was I think it was uh, Nate made a bet ninety six. He was like, 96 yards. yards. He goes, I bet you he doesn't hit the green from 96 yards. And Bob goes, I'll take that bet. And then he clearly (laughs) missed it. Like, he missed it by, like, 12 yards to the right of the green. Like, it was one of the worst shots, like, a professional golfer we've ever seen. Um, But, like, I do think, I do think to your point, I think, Bob, you said before we got on here, like, is it really that bad of a decision for a guy who typically is one of the better drivers on tour and again, I don't, I don't know the strokes gain stat from tee to green, but I do think he probably off the tee, strokes gain off the tee, he's probably somewhere in the top five on tour, right there with Bryson and and Rory, as a guy who um, is strokes gained off the tee, probably right there with Finau, uh, Dustin Johnson. I'm assuming those guys are probably right up there, um, and he's probably right up there with those guys. But my my feeling. Um, my, you know, my feeling about it wasn't so much that like he pulled driver. It was that he set the reason why he pulled driver. The reason why he pulled driver did make sense to me. Uh, after the round, when he had his interview, he said, "We this was the plan we made. This was what we were committed to." Blah 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 blah. And Nate, you alluded to it, and when you were kind of breaking it down, that like it doesn't make sense when you're leading by two to have the same mindset as you do on day one going out trying to like score, right? Once you have the score in hand and you have the win in hand essentially, like your mindset has to change. And and I think that's the difference between people who are great golfers like Tiger and people who are guys that miss 11 cuts in a season like Cameron Champ has this year. Obviously, you can see Cameron Champ is very talented. Uh, he's got he's got long game, and if he can put the putter together, he's a force to be reckoned with. Yet, like mentally, he seems to be like even his thought process seems to be a little bit off. And 
um, in, in my mind. I mean, you think about, I think back to like 2019 when Tiger won the Masters. And I think going into the 18th hole, he had a two-shot lead. And he knew all I have to do is make bogey. And that's what he did. He made bogey. He didn't. He wasn't worried about making par. He wasn't worried about uh, trying to make a what, birdie. What do I finish? Where do I finish? Right. I'm not. I'm not trying to hit the green. Into like he just he got the score that he needed to get. He knew five shots on this hole wins me the golf tournament. So he took five shots. Like and and he locked up that golf tournament. And and I feel like what Cameron Champ did was he was able to get it in the hole. But but the risk that he took, I mean, it, I mean, it, essentially, it could have cost him close to a million dollars if he, you know, like if he if he makes a mistake. I mean, that could have cost him a well, massive amount figure. of money and and a PGA Tour victory. Right, like Cameron one Champ, shot, I, one yeah, shot could have done I, that. I can't imagine Cameron Champ's worried about money. Well, uh, maybe still. he will be in the future, but sure. Um, but practically speaking, you know, I know you mentioned that you know his rationale or his mindset for pulling driver didn't make sense is is there one that would have made sense to you cuz i i don't think there is one right let's say he says kind of what bob said right let's say he goes into that post round interview and cameron champ says listen yeah i know i know a lot of people may not have done that but my driver is my weapon that that's what i have and i have smoked it this week i've hit it really good that's why i'm 15 under par is because I hit the ball further than everybody else and I have more wedges and I've made those putts and I, I'm going to hit driver because that's what I do. Yeah. Would that be any different to you? Because I would still think, for me personally, I would still think that's dumb. Well, that's, yeah. that's ignorant because you also hit, if you hit your driver exponentially further because of your swing speed, th- that would mean you also hit your five or three iron further as well, right? Right. So well, he and, hit and that he had club that, into the fairway. Yeah, and he had that two iron in his bag that he had thing been that he really yeah the well driving iron all, thing all 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 week long and right and 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 so that probably would have been the club that I would have picked. But but the reality is is that I mean I don't know that like it really changes one way or the other. My my only thing is is if you're tied for the lead, um, if you're only one shot ahead, you know uh, like. I might say that's a you know that's a risk worth taking uh to try and go win the golf tournament right there um but with a two shot lead I mean that's such a large cushion if all you got to do is make bogey on a par 5 and it's a pretty breachable par 5 anyway like yeah it doesn't make sense um I I I think where he was in the golf tournament which to your point you said you honestly didn't think he knew where he was. I you didn't. didn't think no, I was surprised where, that I, he was two shots ahead. That's right. I was surprised when um, when you told me you listened to his post round interview, and that's what he said. Because I I was guessing because they uh, what I like is kind of hearing the play by play that occurs down Colt Nost. I think was following that group. The play by play that occurs from those announcers, because it's not uncommon on the PGA Tour for caddies or even players to talk to whether it's Dottie Pepper or Colt Nost or Immelman's brother or whoever else, you know, they may have out there walking around with the Roger Mulpey, you know, for NBC, you know, whoever it happens to be, to ask them, hey, what's the leaderboard look like? Where's my guy at? How am I doing? How, what did so-and-so do on 18? You know what I mean? It's not uncommon for that to happen. And so when Immelman asked Colt Nost, 
hey, did did Chad talk to you? Did did Cameron talk to you? He's like, no, I haven't said a word. I'm I'm not sure they know where they're at. That made a lot of sense to me because they certainly acted like they didn't need it. They didn't know, <laughs> right? And and it was because they didn't care. It didn't matter. They could have been to Derek's point. It sounds like to me, based off the interview, he could have been down one or up three, and he was going to pull the same club, right? And that's, who knows? I mean, that's the way it sounded. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it turns out differently um, under some other circumstances. But it looked like to me. Now, knowing that, it looked like to me he knew he had a lead, and he held on to it, and he was not going to miss right. Yeah. And, and, and he didn't miss right, <laughs> which is really hard, I think, practically speaking. I think Bob can tell us a little bit more about this following Ooh. up from last week's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think it's really hard for me generally, and you guys know me. I'm such a, an elite ball striker that I work the ball both ways. <laughs> um, so, so I get to choose what way it's going to go. Um, but it's really hard when your natural shot shape for whatever day it happens to be like some days for me, it's a draw, some it's a fade, but it's really hard to hit the ball knowing that your ball, a tee shot specifically that your ball is going to be working back towards a hazard. Right, Bob? Right. Uh, You know, it's a lot easier when you can aim at a hazard or down a hazard line or down a side and turn it away from a hazard. As opposed to knowing that your ball is going to turn back towards it, like 16 at Innisbrook for a lefty that draws the ball. <laughs> uh, I, I, I will say, you know, uh, just, just to follow up for all of our listeners on that one, I, I might have struggled, uh, you know, closing the book at Innisbrook. Uh, but I had my club championship this last weekend, and I shot a 68 to close it out. Nice. Uh, now, I still there lost. It is. I shot 87 the first day. So 8768 doesn't win you a championship. But, <laughs> but it does get you in the top five. It does get you in the top five. And uh, I know we've got at least five new listeners out there that are that are listening right now uh, because they have tees and ball markers and anything else that I can give them uh, to, to, to listen to the podcast. That's awesome. Um, so to all those Marbella guys out there that are listening, you guys can, can contest that, yes, I can actually hit a fairway when there's a hazard on the right, just not in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, th- I think uh, another big story that came out, I mean, early, I guess early, what, a cool story maybe was to see Ricky at the top of the leaderboard after day one, obviously, Early in the golf tournament, I don't think any of us really felt like he was going to stay there. But it was nice to see him playing and having good form. Um, and uh, but, but a bigger storyline, uh, a stat came out this past week that said Louie has won $4.3 million in the last seven events. He's finished in the top three in his last three events without a win. And, uh, and he, that, that amount of money is more money than he won in the last two years combined. Um, so uh, pretty impressive play from Louis Oosthuizen. It kind of almost makes you feel like he's Phil Mickelson playing next to Tiger Woods every tournament. Uh, but but obviously, I mean, great form from him coming off of you know an Open Championship, uh, close call, a U.S. Open close call, close call here. Um, I mean... It, pretty pretty impressive stuff, and and that shot on eighteen that he hit that uh, that hit the flag stick. I mean that was mm. that definitely was uh, like exciting to watch. 
It yeah, was. I mean, yeah. Give give Louis some credit. I mean, I know I, I think uh, we're a little harsh on him. I know there's some other podcasts out there that like to make fun of him a little bit, but uh, he might not win. But the man has been extremely consistent. And you know, if you were looking for a like a, a top twenty lock or a top ten lock, you know, in any given week, uh, he'd he'd be absolutely one of my picks to to lock up a top ten finish and not win. But uh, he's he's just been extremely consistent. Well, yeah, absolutely right, and I think it ties in to, to the discussion that we'll have here in a second about kind of understanding who Cameron Champ is, and I think to some extent, just for the circumstances that the 3M Championship is the week after the British Open, and it's probably not going to draw a ton of top talent, and the top talent that is there is probably going to struggle like Dustin Johnson, Right. Um, I think it was one of you guys that sent me a text and said Dustin Johnson needed to make birdie on 18 yeah. on Friday to make the cut, and he pushes his drive in the middle of the lake, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you can't necessarily blame somebody. I, I can only imagine, I, as somebody who gets tired when I fly from Jacksonville to Charlotte or Jacksonville to Atlanta, <laughs> uh, I can only imagine what it's like to fly from you know, England back to New York, maybe, or I don't know, maybe there's a flight from London to Minneapolis and then you show up on the site and and you're ready to play a golf tournament, Uh, especially for guys that were in contention. Like Dustin was, he was kind of in the, in the mix early on Sunday Mm -hmm. and, and certainly with Louie. And I think that goes to the credit of how consistent Louie has played. Um, And honestly, who would you rather be? Would you rather be Louie Ustazen? who's kind of known as the, the close call guy, who's always seemingly at the top of the leaderboard whenever he shows up, or a guy like Cameron Champ, who may record a win or two, but ultimately probably misses more cuts than he makes because he, he's just so aggressive and, and, frankly, doesn't hit the green enough from 96 yards. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think definitely if if given the choice, I mean, a win is a win, but... Um, but you have to think about like the fact that having more opportunities to win, you're probably going to get more wins, you would think. Um, and obviously, Louis hasn't always played in this form. He's had uh, the win at you know the British Open and uh, in 2010 in, in, though. In 20 in 2010, that feels like forever he, ago now. And he's had some other close calls. Yeah, he's had some other close calls in majors. But honestly, outside of majors, I don't think you hear Louis's name a whole lot ex- until this year. Um, this year, you're hearing his name a little bit more whenever, wherever he's at, and and maybe that speaks to the fact that you know he will get a win more uh, in in the near future. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a win uh, in Boston uh, during the playoffs, or you know Chicago, or something like that. Like I, I could see him pulling out a win. Uh, and come playoff time, and and being close to winning the FedEx Cup, but like he's because he's playing that well. Like I mean, to to put it together a few weeks in a row for him would not be uh, seemingly all that difficult. It doesn't seem like so. Um, so I w- I wouldn't be surprised to see him make a run at the end of the year, and maybe even get a win and and be right there to to win the Tour Championship. Well, and um, and, and we know how it just from our own games. I can only imagine what it's like for those guys. But we played four rounds at Innisbrook on on the Copperhead course, right? How easy is it to think about over the course of four rounds, one shot, right? Like how how easy could you have, 
you know, that putt that lips out goes in or that chip that checks just a little bit short of that ridge releases down or, you know, whatever happens, like literally breaks that are outside of your control that you hit good shots that you just don't get good results, right? That's golf. Yeah. But I think it's a credit to Louie that he's continuing to put himself in that position, specifically in majors. That's really impressive. When the guy, when the best players in the world show up and, and you're among the top of them, because that's what he has done since 2010. Yep. Last couple of years, maybe yep. uh, a little uh, abnormality there. But generally speaking, at least at the Masters, he's always played well at the Masters, it feels like. You know, he was yep. in that playoff. Mm-hmm. and um, But specifically in the majors, he's he's shown up and he's made a ton of money. You know, to me, he kind of feels like maybe the the new version of Matt Kuchar. You know, guys who don't necessarily win as much as you think they probably should with as many high finishes as they've had. But at the same time, if you look at their career earnings or what they make year over year, nobody's going to be mad at making, you know, eight, nine, ten million dollars per year finishing in the top 25, top 10 every time you show up. Right. Right. Yeah. Kuchar, I think, is a great that's a great kind of comparison. Right. Especially when he was kind of at the, the peak of his game. Uh, you could count on him to be at the top of every leaderboard, and you could count on him uh, to not win any tournament <laughs> that he was he was out there for. But you know, he was you know. I he, mean, that yeah, was who he was a little bit differently. Obviously, Kucher did it with just his consistent like ball strike. Like, right. Yeah. He he didn't hit it long, but he hit it very straight. Uh, but he had a great short game. He would make putts, and he would get up and down from anywhere. Louis kind of does it from the other end of the course, like the. It was amazing. Like, if you follow the no laying up stuff early on Sunday, like, Louie didn't miss uh, a, a a drive by more than two or three feet in any direction. Mm. His shot tracers on Saturday and Sunday were really impressive. Um, it's just maybe the irons, and, and certainly his putting gets a little loose from time to time. And again, one shot, two shots over the course of four rounds, easy yeah. to kind of make up if you if you catch fire. Which I think is what Cameron Champ did this past week, right? You find right. a, you catch a heater with your putter, and all of a sudden, you know, yeah. you win running away. So, it, hopefully, it's just time for Louis. But also, I don't think there's any shame in being kind of the human ATM machine on the PGA Tour either. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely no shame there. But I think the I think the interesting thing with Louis, um, like you you alluded to him, like being just a so-so putter from time to time. Uh, but he leads, he leads the PGA tour strokes gain this year and in, um, overall, um, and overall putting. So, um, you know, that, that seems to speak that like he's gotten some, somewhat that club figured out at least for this season. Um, and it, and it does bode well for his finishes as, you know, as it does for most guys who, who find the fairway a lot um, and and find a lot of greens. Like if you can put the putting together, you're going to be in contention a lot more uh, than than you're not. I mean, I think that's one of those things we've seen with Ricky or not Ricky, but Rory and Justin Thomas as of late is that you know, I mean, they can they can hit the ball and drive the ball and and strike the ball with anybody in the world, um, but. There, there definitely have been struggles on the greens and around the greens um, that have have prevented them from being higher, uh, finishing higher, and being in contention more frequently. So, um, so you know, uh, 
we see putting as a story, I think, in Louis's game right now, and we saw it as a story in Cameron Champ's win. Um, so um, I think I think that's that's an interesting thing to look at uh, moving forward. Is you know, how does he keep that putting stroke going? Uh, I do like his little like uh, Bob was asking about a pre putting routine kind of thing. Uh, seems like he got it figured out on Sunday though because he shot a sixty eight. So, um, but but you know Louis he kind of he has a he has an interesting pre put pre putting routine um, of of some of the guys on tour. I don't know if that's a recent thing that he's done or if he's always done that, but um, he kind of slides his hands down the shaft and then back up right before he hits the ball. So I think he's just trying to loosen his hands and loosen his forearms up uh, before before taking the putter back. So uh, anyway, um, well, we we had a couple big names have to withdraw from the Olympics, uh, Bryson DeChambeau and John Rahm. Uh, tested positive for COVID and – and obviously, you know, we haven't heard that from from DeChambeau over the last year and a half as COVID's been a thing. But recently, we had that happen with John Rahm. So um, were you guys thrown off by that? Like, thrown off by the test result that, like, a guy who has tested positive for COVID in the last two months and has been fully vaccinated tested positive for COVID? No, I don't I- think so. I, I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't surprised. I I did find it I funny is is not the right term. Um I found it interesting, I think for and I think that's um you know one of the things that we've talked about specifically in golf and and I know we've had conversations down at Innisbrook, but I I don't think we know a whole lot about COVID-19 generally speaking. I think everybody likes to and I think that's the official position from you know, whether that's world leaders or health organizations or anybody else, right? They, I feel like there's strength in, in having a grasp or an understanding of what this virus does and, and how we're going to be smarter and we're going to control it. And, and this is the plan. I, I'm not sure there's a ton of understanding. And I think John Rahm is exactly what is a, illustrates exactly what you're talking about. How can a guy who the first time was partially vaccinated, then caught it, then completed his vaccination. Now, less than two months later is, is testing positive again, right? Like that seems to defy the official position or, or what we believe is potentially possible. So it, it's one of those things where I think we all have to realize on a larger level we're still learning a lot about what's going on with the human body and COVID-19. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that's something we need to all remember. I mean, we, it is such a new virus. It's been around, you know, less than two years. Um, so we don't really know. Uh, I, I was shocked that Grom got tested positive again. Um, I mean, the man's got the worst COVID luck. I, I think in the history of testing, that's just <laughs> ridiculously bad. And I feel, I, I feel bad for him. You know, if you, it, it, assuming he really wanted to play in the Olympics, which is, you know, what everyone and what he was saying, um, that's just kind of a gut punch. Right. Um, and just going back to, he's a you know new father and, and all that stuff. You don't, you know, I, I'm sure he's trying to think of his family to make sure they don't get sick too. If he's got it and who knows, but, um, it's so new. It's two years old. And, you know, in the pantheon of, uh, you know, 
disease and etymology. It's just, it's, we're, we're in the infancy stage of understanding what's going on. Um, so I don't necessarily get too riled up that he got, you know, he, he got it again, or he, I'm sorry, he tested positive again. Uh, cause that's the other piece. We don't know if it's a false positive or not. They tee off in like 18 hours from, from now. So it's just too late for him to kind of get a, uh, another test, I guess. I don't know, but, um, I don't know. It, it's, uh, it's the, that whole storyline is permeating the Olympics and other sports and you see it kind of popping up everywhere. Um, so I'm not, I guess I'm not surprised that there were golfers that tested positive. Uh, I guess I was surprised that it was John Rahm. Yeah, that's, I th- yeah. And I think that was the, that was more of the thrust of what I was trying to get at is I, you know, everything that I've been told and everything that I've, you know, understood. And, and again, we don't understand a whole lot and I'm not a doctor and, and i haven't tested positive for COVID. I'm not saying I haven't had it, but I haven't tested positive for it. Um, but everything that I have understood or been told about this virus is that like, once you get it, you really can't get it again, uh, for, for a while, um, longer than eight weeks, uh, that it would be hard for you to get it within, you know, three or four or five months, um, of having it. Um, and, and like, all of that kind of stuff and and obviously vaccinations as well uh just how that the vaccines have have really helped to lower the infection rate um of covid-19 um and the, and the and the widespread and the and the i guess the fast um and, and immediate spread of the virus and so to me it just seems it seems odd and and it you know my first thought and i'm not saying this is this is more conjecture maybe even some would say conspiracy more than anything else uh but but my first thought was just man if he's positive now in my mind there's almost no way i thought he could be positive at the memorial like like and which really is frustrating because of you know obviously we we talked about what happened there six shot lead gets you know has to has to withdraw from the tournament because of covid um, and it, we were all frustrated by that. I think all the golf world was. Every golf fan was frustrated by that. Um, and now you're equally frustrated, I think, if you're a golf fan because he's the number one player in the world now, and he's not going to be able to compete for a gold medal, of which he probably was the favorite to win, um, like going into that tournament, as well as he has played in in tournaments leading up to this, obviously coming off a U.S. Open win. I mean – to have a U.S. Open gold medal and a and a and an Olympic gold medal in the same season, that'd be a pretty special thing. And and John Rahm had a legitimate chance at that before this positive COVID test. Yeah, but I think that that's sports in 2021, though. Uh, we're we're gonna see that whether it's in golf or basketball or football when it comes up. There's gonna be key guys that get tested and they they end up being positive and. You know they're going to miss you know uh, some performance. Um, so is is it frustrating? Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think in today's world of sports, I think we kind of anticipate something's going to happen, right? It just it's a it's a really shame that it happened to uh, to, to Rom. So. Well, and I think practically it'd be interesting to know, and, and we never will. Um, but I think that highlights. How potentially, and I am certain. Well, I mean, I am a doctor, <laughs> just not yeah. a medical, <laughs> not a medical doctor. Um, 
I, I do possess a doctorate degree. Uh, but it would be interesting to know if this is the result of a, a variant, right? Whether it's the Delta, Delta Plus, like you've heard all kinds of different names. I, I mean, I, you guys know that I, I had the, the Delta variant and a lot of folks in my life who had the vaccine fully vaccinated also tested positive after they came into contact with me. So um, it would be interesting to know if maybe he had another version or variant of COVID at the mm. or tested positive for uh, a different you know variation back at the memorial. And now that COVID is changing, mutating, trying to survive, uh, he tests positive for another variant now. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, that could very well be what's happening kind of with the spread of of some of these, you know, second and third generation variants. Yeah. Yeah. Disappointing, uh, nonetheless, but but just, you know, that to me, I, that kind of that kind of was it threw me for a loop a little bit. I, I was um, again and maybe that's my uh, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm ignorant one. Maybe maybe it's both. Uh, but but there is a uh, but, you know, for me, I just I was almost like, man, I don't even know if that would be possible. I don't even know how that would be possible. Um, for him to end up in that type of situation so quickly, back to back, impacting big events like the Olympics and like the memorial and um, and other things as well. So uh, just just I hate it. I hate it for him in that regard. So, uh, but obviously the Olympics, we have the Olympics, very interesting uh, event, uh, and there are some interesting uniforms. That go along with this event. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have seen them, but the Australian uh, Olympic uniforms might be one of the ugliest uh, uniforms ever to be worn in any sport. Uh, that you know, it, they they resemble a mix between something that I would expect someone who's playing volleyball um, and who's you know maybe doing a triathlon or racing in the Tour de France uh, to be wearing. And yet we have professional golfers uh, who usually do a pretty good job dressing themselves, uh, being told they have to wear these monstrosity uh, <laughs> that, that is these uniforms. Um, I just, I, I honestly, I couldn't stop laughing when I saw Cam Smith dressed in this uniform. It was just insane. Well, yeah, him and him and Leishman together, which those two together are quite the like odd couple. You know, Cam <laughs> Smith's kind of like a small guy with like shaved sides mullet. Yeah, and Leishman's a bigger, taller, kind of beefier guy. Um, so having them both dressed as like the JV girls volleyball team <laughs> is uh, is is really funny. Um, it, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, what else are we going to see? Like, I can't wait. That This is outside of the U.S. losing to France in basketball, because you guys know basketball is kind of my first <laughs> love. Um, I, this has been my kind of most anticipated uh, event. I can't wait to see what Team USA wears, uh, what some of the other teams wear. Um, it should be a lot of fun, but I really feel bad for the Australians. I don't know who picked that. <laughs> If it was the Australian kind of national Olympic team or <laughs> Derek made the comment about it could have been Ian Baker Finch, who I think is like their team captain <laughs> yeah. or coach. Um, yeah. Either way, it's like somebody should have looked at that and said, 
you know, because it was like this sash running through the middle of their orange or their uh, yellow and green shirt with their green shorts. It's like, I, you know, you're all about Aussie pride, I think. But, you know, maybe somebody could could think about what that is going to potentially look like on a on a golf course. I, I think it was definitely a non golfer. They picked out that a- outfit. They're like quarter zip. They're quarter zip polos. They're yeah. not even buttons. There's not <laughs> and even then buttons. The, it's just and the whole reason for Cam Smith's post was whether they should go with the visor or the hat that Leishman was wearing. And the hat looks like a like a running hat or a volleyball hat well, or maybe they, something they bo- you would they wear. They both look ridiculous. I mean, the, the visor and the hat both look yes, ridiculous. It's They're one bad. of those low crown visors <laughs> that like for, circa – you know, uh, Robbie Forsty has a, a closet full of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, circa, circa like 2005, like oh. as little space up above the visor as possible. But the hat is like, you know, maybe you wear that out on the, you know, in the bush in Australia. Oh. Uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> like you're on a safari or something. I, I don't know, but it does not. Their uniforms. So, as soon as I saw that, I laughed. It, so, it was bad. So here's here's what I think. I. This is worse than this is worse than Nike's scripting at at major championships for Tony Finau, uh, and so like it's because it's been bad for him. Uh, but this is worse, and so here's here's what I'm going to propose. I'm going to propose. I'm going to propose that at our next golf trip, that we have some sort of bet, and and whoever loses has to dress. In a uniform very similar to this, <laughs> that that's that is that is a substantial that is a substantial bet, and I think and I think it honestly, it's totally. I think we would all play our hearts out not to have to wear this uniform. I think we would. The difficulty <laughs> would be is we all three wear very different sizes. Well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> most so of the time, most of the time when when you're on a golf trip, you can find a golf store, we can find something very similar, okay, um, and we can find it in your size. I think we can find it in your size. I mean, you've lost so much weight, Nate, because of your awesome diet that you're on. Like, <laughs> I, we we could easily go find you some extra large shirts. Yeah, um, we could. <laughs> um, that that I I'd be okay with that because as we've. As we've proven over the last couple of golf trips, I, I don't think I have to worry about losing to you guys. The, the so. cream rises to the top. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that that's just just a just a this a potential bet that we could have on the table, not including money. Doesn't involve money, but but involves a little bit of public embarrassment. So anyway. Uh, so so speaking, like let's let's get into like picks. This is only a sixty-man field. It's a small field. Um, some, but there are some big names in this field, obviously. Uh, so who who do you like in this field? Are you going Team USA? You going somebody off Team USA? You're going to go outside of Team USA? Uh, not not USA. Uh, that, that's you know with, with Rom leaving, um, his replacement, uh, I believe, was a guy named Jorge Campello. Uh, you know, ranked, I think, about 320th in the world. And uh, I almost wanted to go with him, thinking, you know, he's, he's Rom's replacement. He's going he's gonna to make his way in a small field. That's then awesome. Then I went to C.T. Pan just because uh, anytime C.T. Pan tees it up in a tournament, I, I wanted to win. 
And I'm going to take a snapshot of the leaderboard with Pan at the top. Um, but I don't think he's got a, really a shot either. But uh, CT Pan, is he rep- Is he Taiwanese? Taiwan. Yeah, okay. Taiwan. Yeah. Okay, Chinese yeah. Taipei? Okay. Yeah, Chinese Chinese Taipei. And uh, I actually, I, I, I really wanted to, to take him. But uh, no, uh, no, I... Uh, uh, for me, I'm sticking with the hometown. Uh, I think uh, Matsuyama knows the course. Um, he uh, didn't get a chance to play in the British, but I think that actually is going to help him here where he's not crossing the globe from uh, England to the U.S., back to Japan. Um, I think that actually is going to help him out. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm putting my money on Hideki Matsuyama. All right. I, I think it could be much worse. Um, with that pressure kind of, relieved when he won the masters i i think it makes it a little bit easier for him if that makes sense well and that there's no there's no fans there right i mean if, yeah. if, if all the fans were there i think the pressure would be just a, a lot harder because you feel it, it it's all right there but he's won twice on this course uh at, you know as a junior golfer and in, um you know in it was an early career uh so he knows the course you know we talk about knowing grasses and knowing how things play um, I got to feel like, and I don't know where in Japan he grew up, but I got to feel like he's just got an advantage there. Um, and all these other guys, I mean, Japan has extremely strict, uh, even for the athletes, uh, restrictions as to where you can go, where you can stay, and what you're doing outside of the course or outside of the event. Um, he is with his family uh, outside of Tokyo, um, and I just feel like he's just in a comfortable environment, and he's going to play really well and I think it'd be a cool cool thing to see him win the gold medal in his home country so speaking of pressure uh, that ties in with my pick so uh, in the office pool we uh, we decided that we were going to pick a country so you get both golfers you know however many golfers that qualified for that country excluding the United States the United States was not available um, I picked I think sixth fifth Ooh. out of eighth uh, out of eight total um i got lucky enough because i, I really do believe that sun jm is going to win the gold medal uh, uh. but uh, it is an interesting fact and this happened to sang moon bay a couple years ago uh, a guy whose career was developing on the pga tour but in south korea there's a law that requires mandatory military service Yep. For every citizen. And the and one of the only ways that you can gain an exception is to win an Olympic medal. So the clock is ticking on Sanjay M and Siwoo Kim, who's a former uh, players champion, uh, on those guys. And, and they're going to have to face that reality of they're going to have to take two years off to serve, to do their mandatory two-year military service. Uh, unless they can be successful and, and win an Olympic gold medal or win an Olympic medal. And so I think that's a little bit of extra motivation could potentially be pressure, but maybe means a little bit more to these guys than it does to anybody else in the field. And I generally like that, right? I like the guy who is fighting for his card, who has no other option, but to focus and kind of normal PGA tour events. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what we're pro- – hopefully that's what we're going to see for my sake uh, and for their sakes uh, from Sun JM and, and Siwoo Kim on the that, South Korean team. That's a great pick because Sun JM, he is – first of all, he plays, I think, 52 events a year, uh, maybe yeah. 51. He takes one off somewhere. 
but uh, uh, he is going to win uh, one of these days, and this is a great field for him to win. You know, a reduced field where there's really probably only 15 guys that have a realistic shot at winning. Um, uh, so I, 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 that's a, I think that's a good pick. Find it very intriguing that uh, I don't know. I got. I feel like I feel like the picks. Um, you know, Matsuyama. I can see that. Like, obviously, he's played well there in the past. He knows the golf course. He's a hometown guy. Uh, I can see that. Sun JM hasn't played great this year, but you know. Nate, you have a compelling story I didn't know about. That's pretty interesting. Uh, that that fact that you just laid down about the the two years of military service, fighting to win an Olympic medal so that you don't have to do that. Um, I mean that those are those are seemingly good motivating factors. I just you know like this to me this seems like something that a guy like Xander Shoffley is like all in for right now. And I don't know that that's the case, but he seems like, in in my mind, I will go with the hometown because I love the USA, um, and um, and I want the USA to win everything they can in the Olympics, um, and so I'm going to go with the USA guy. But I think I think Xander Shoffley, I think, you know, I think he's I think he's hungry for for a win, and I think maybe this is a place where. Because it's a limited field, it's not as de- it's not as deep. He probably only feels like, well, I only got to play better than fifteen guys, you know. Like even if I bring my B game, I'm gonna beat everybody else. But but if I if I just bring my A game, all I got to do is beat fifteen guys. Um, and and I think he can do that. I think he can. I think he can stay hungry. I think uh, stay focused. I think I think he has a good week. And uh, and he wins a gold medal for the United States of America. That'd be I like great. It. I I like Xander. Um, a couple other random thoughts, guys. Whether it's articles or podcasts that I I read or listen to, a couple names keep popping up, and I'd, I'd be interested to hear your guys' opinion on them. Number one is that the resounding favorite, for whatever reason, at least on the quote unquote experts that that I listen to and read, seems to be Justin Thomas. Mm. And I know, you know, he's, what is he, third in the world, potentially third, fourth, something like that. Yeah. Um, And I don't even know if Colin Morikawa passed him or is still number four. No, I think Colin Morikawa actually is uh, third in the world now. Is he? So Justin Justin Thomas might have dropped a fourth. But either way, very highly ranked in the world golf rankings. Um, not having a ton of form recently, but for some reason, a lot of folks, and, and it, it was kind of anecdotal. It wasn't necessarily like boots on the ground, like, oh, he really loves this course, or he shot 58 his first practice round. Like, it wasn't anything like that. It was just kind <laughs> of like, we think he's due type stuff. Yeah. Um. So kind of one thought. And then the other one that everybody seems to be really high on is Tommy Fleetwood. Had a really oh, good yeah. British Open. And apparently has been tweeting a lot about how much he loves the Olympic environment and the experience, which I guess maybe those positive or good vibes may lead to some very positive play. Yeah, I could see that. I could, I could also see a guy like Paul Casey, uh, you know, playing for England as well. Um, he he tends to always have positive vibes no matter where he's at. I don't think he's going to get too 
uh, amped up. I don't think he's going to get, you know, too bogged down with being frustrated with anything or, or, you know, whatever. Like, I think, I think he's going to be able to keep even keel, be happy, have a good time and go out there and perform well. Um, I think I think the Justin Thomas thing is the is more interesting to me though. I I just don't see how that really plays out in my mind. I mean, I know he in my mind there are two guys in the field right now that I would say are more talented than any of the others that I would think or I would characterize as the most talented guys, but neither one of them, Justin Thomas and Rory, neither one of them are really playing all that great. And so I find it hard to really put any sort of like really backing behind them. I mean, I would love to I'd love to feel differently about that, but I just both I think both of them are just struggling way too much on the greens to to feel comfortable picking them to win any golf tournament right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I'd, I'd pick Corey Connors before those two right now. The way yes. he's playing recently, you know, I love that pick, Bob. And, and there's there's no way that Connors is more talented than. Thomas or or McElroy, right? There, there's there's no way. Uh, but he's just he's playing better. Um, yeah. I, another, another question for you guys. I, I was reading an article uh, that was you know, saying you know if you really wanted to make this uh, kind of more fun to watch, they were saying to turn this into a team event, right? Kind of. Yes, a, uh, they should do know. both. Would, it should be. Make, why, it should be a team gold medal sense? and yeah. a. It should be like the NCAA championship. Exactly. You can do both in the same field. Like cumulative have, stroke play. Have two, right. Have two golfers. Uh, both scores count. Something like that. Because you can't have four. It, it's not going to be practical. But you find a way to have two golfers from each country show up. And I don't know if you maybe play a. How cool would it be to do best ball? Right. Put them in yeah. different groups and, and have it be a best ball, like one round uh, counts type thing. Um, and then you can do an individual gold medal and you can do a team gold medal as well. So, yeah, I, there's no like you could get creative and, and be probably give golf fans something because I, I, you, you kind of generally feel that, that golf is kind of really under the radar and really hasn't taken off in the Olympics like I thought it would. Um, and I, I really think a, a team or a country based I- event would be a yeah. ton of fun and you can I, do it all within the confines of the same tournament. You're going to do 72 hole stroke play. You can do a couple different ways of scoring that to give out a couple different medals. Like it, there, there, it, golf is great in that way. I mean, yep. you could, depending on how you know much you wanted to do this. I mean, they've got women there also. There's all kinds of mixed double. You could you could get all kinds of creative if you really wanted to 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 do something. But I I thought a team event would be uh, a la the NCAA tournament. I think that's exactly a, a great way to put it together. I think that would be so much more compelling to watch. Again, because you know you look at the field. There's 60 guys, and when I'm, I'm looking at it right now, there's maybe 25 that have a legitimate absolute yes they could win this tournament the other 30 30 other 25 30 35 there, there's no chance you know they, they um they're gonna struggle to be within 15 strokes by the end of the day yeah so. agreed yeah which i do think is interesting i mean i do think that the field is small but it's also a bunch of people we've never heard of it's some amateurs there's amateurs in this field there's uh, there, there are players on, you know, on seemingly, you know, other 
the Latin American tour, the J- Japanese tour, the Canadian tour that we, like we never get to see and never really hear about, like uh, Corn Fairy tour guys. There's there's you know all of that. So so definitely a lesser field in that regard, and and you got to think that those guys probably show up knowing it will be really, really hard for them to compete with the best players in the world who are in this event as well. But probably motivated to try, though, which I, oh, which yeah, I like. Sure yeah, I like, yeah. I like that element of it, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying they, they shouldn't be part of the field. I think that's great. But I think if you put this in a team, I think you can some add, add intrigue to uh, the television, to the watching from, from my side, from the from fan side, right? Adding a team component to it. Um, I mean, I mean, Matthias Matthias Schmidt, uh, who was the silver medalist at the the Open Championship, um, uh, low amateur, um, he's he's representing Germany, and I mean, he competed well, played well at the Open Championship. Yeah, yeah. They don't. The Germans don't have a better golfer than Matthias Schmidt. So who who else is representing Germany? Is he just one, or are there? Uh, Keimer? Maybe Keimer. Keimer's Who not else I don't is see a German, Keimer in the field. Who else is a German golfer? They have to, like, Tommy I've never Peters. heard of that. Is he, is he German? Who? T- Thomas Peters, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think he's, he's there. Is he Belgian? I, think, yeah. I, I thought he might have been Belgian. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is Belgian. But I know Thomas Peters is going to the Olympics. I follow him on Instagram. Why isn't, um, I mean, I don't know why they don't get Bernhard Langer. <laughs> I think it's based on world ranking, to be honest with you. And I would imagine finishing, I don't know what Matthias Schmidt finished, but I know he shot like 65 or something on Friday to make the cut. So, yeah. you know, a fairly high finish in a major is going to skyrocket your world yeah. golf ranking. Yeah. Um, and I think, isn't the way that you qualify for the Olympics is if you have... It, the maximum any one country can send is four guys. That's why the U.S. only ever sends, and, and I think England may from time to time, because guys in Great Britain, like Rory, have a choice to either represent Ireland or Wales or Scotland or England, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, is how that works. And so different guys um, do that based on their political preference, I think, Um but the way the qualification works is if you're in the top 10 or top 20, you can have uh, world golf rankings. You can send four guys, but otherwise every country that is within like the top, I think you have to be in like the top 3000 of the world golf rankings or something like that. It goes way down there. Um, every country can send up to two players. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, Norway is a good example, right? Hovland, Victor Hovland's from Norway. He's he's in the field, right? And and he was one of those guys who has a legitimate chance at winning the tournament, right? And we we'll, we might be watching him. He'll be up on the leaderboard somewhere. And yeah. the other person from Norway, Christian Johannesson. Yeah, I've heard of him. I, I follow a lot of golf. Don't know who that is. Uh, I don't think we're going to be seeing him at all. But again, in a team event or something like that, we would. We would at least be able to see what Norway's doing because Henrik any- Henrik Norlander's in the field, guys. That's awesome. Yeah, Sweden, right? <laughs> yeah. Is Henrik Stenson in the field? I believe he I, no, he, I think he the defending made... silver medalist, I think, right? Yeah, he was in the field, but I believe he opted not to um not to participate. Not to participate. Oh, okay. All right. So. Well, uh so 
You have Sunjay M is Nate's pick for this week. Uh, Bob is going to go with, remind me of your pick one more time, Bob. Matsuyama. Matsuyama, that's right. The hometown guy. I'm going to go Derek is taking Patrick Reed. No. Oh. I would never pick. (laughs) I would never pick Patrick Reed. I sent though. you. I sent you the meme. I laughed oh, out loud gosh. because I think I think golf like <laughs> is so funny. Is, is yeah. like one of my favorite things in life. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, so there's a big story going around about Simone Biles. Right, is is backing out for mental reasons from the uh, Oli- uh, the the gymnastics yeah. competition, and so they also said that. Patrick Reed, Captain America, is going to show up and and compete for the U.S. in women's gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Because anytime he gets the opportunity to compete for his country, he takes it. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was pretty funny. I and I was watching Simone Biles, like I was watching that with our girls because our girls are into gymnastics, and so we were watching that with our girls when when you sent me that, and so it was pretty funny. Uh, is it was it was almost right on time. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, that is that is pretty fun. But no, I definitely am not going with Patrick Reed. Xander Schauffele is my pick. Uh, go Team USA. Uh, hopefully, we we come away with a gold medal uh, and not a bronze medal like we did last time. But you know, way to go, Matt Kuchar. Way to represent. Um, but uh, but anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun for us, and so. Uh, until next week, we'll get to talk about the World Golf Championship happening uh, in Memphis. And so uh, make sure you tune back in next week as we break down our uh, our take on the Olympics as well as uh, as we look ahead to that World Golf Championship and uh, and and get to, to get to see some really good golf happening here down the stretch. So pretty excited. Uh, we'll be back with you next week again. Thanks for listening. Um, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Take it easy.